A white man? No! Hello and welcome to the Unsub as a White Man. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. And we're back with an amazing episode of Criminal Minds to <laughs> this recap. One, this one is bananas. <laughs> I it took me a good long while into the episode to remember that I remembered it. Oh, this was one where like the second it started, like that opening shot yeah. is like, oh <laughs> I just I was confusing it in my mind because there are other ones later on in the series that are also about like somebody preying on the homeless population, but yeah. in very, very different yes. ways. <laughs> There's like two in particular that stand out in my mind later on. And so like all three storylines were in my head and I'm like, which one is it? Which one is it? And then finally like, oh, it's this one. Yeah. Um, but it is a great hook right from the beginning. Yes. Uh, we are talking about Legacy, which originally aired May 9th, 2007. I don't really understand why it's called Legacy. Um, I was just thinking about that it's on my way over title. here. Yeah. It's not a good title because I was trying to remember what it was called. Like and a Legacy of Who? The, I think The Cop. Legacy, I guess. But not, it's a bad title. It's a bad title, yeah. yeah. But it's a great episode. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, so this one <laughs> starts out with some creepy whistling and I don't think anything good has ever happened or started with whistling. No. <laughs> Not ever. Even Guns N' Roses songs. <laughs> um, so there's this bloody old man, and he's tied to a gurney, and he's being pushed down the hallway by a whistling man in a hazmat suit. Yes. And you're immediately like, oh, no. It is not a good, uh, a very comforting opening. Yeah. Uh, there's an incinerator in one of the rooms that's burning. Everything is super dirty. Um he the unsub puts glasses on the man and there's like a mirror at the top on the ceiling yeah. so that he can see that he's in this like really bloody operating room mm-hmm. like everything and not even like like insanely covered yeah. in blood yeah like, like just smeared disgusting. and splattered everywhere like it hasn't been just a few people that died in here oh no <laughs> it's yeah a it's lot. gross um so Meanwhile, uh, Gideon is watching Charlie Chaplin movies on a projector. Yeah, on his in, convenient reel-to-reel. <laughs> reel-to-reel projector in his office. one in his office. Yeah. I didn't catch it the first time, but my second watch through, he had said that he was showing it to students. Yeah. But like the first time, because I watched- But that means he's transporting his giant reel-to-reel projector from his office to a classroom. Yeah, and back again. Also, doesn't make any sense. But I was—I yep. just thought he was just for fun watching. Them. Like he keeps <laughs> it in his office to decompress. Like, go home and do this. Yeah. Why are you doing this? You here? can have a permanent setup at home. Yeah, you can watch it on a comfortable couch. <laughs> um, but anyway, Hutch comes in and they start chatting about old movies and how Gideon's grandpa apparently like worked in old movie studios in like yeah. Chicago or something, and he like stole these copies of the film. Uh, Morgan comes in, isn't super interested in anything but Charlie Chaplin's sex life, which is very Morgan yeah. and very weird. Yes. <laughs> and, and well, I just, I love that Hotch is like giggling and being all relatable. Yeah. Um, and then Morgan calls them old and goes home. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, uh, yeah, I have a life. 
So uh, JJ is also working late in her office. I assume it's late. It seems late. It seems. I mean, I don't know why they're indoors. Yeah, but but like, why during the day, like during regular office hours, he would be watching Charlie Chaplin movies on his reel to reel. Like that seems like something you do. I don't know. Like, I guess they just all have these like windowless offices, but for some reason it was like, "Mm, it's very late at night. It did seem late. I guess Hutch says like, I've got a few minutes before I have to go home. So that's why I was assuming that. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, uh, a detective from Kansas City comes in to ask about ask about a missing persons case that he had called her about, mm-hmm. um, and that he's working on. He doesn't have any files at all; just a theory and a whole bunch of tiny notebooks. Forty, forty, forty tiny, tiny notebooks, notebooks describing um, the homeless people, vagrants, junkies, and sex workers in this area that he's been assigned. Yeah. Um, Which he refers to as Skid Row. And I guess, do places other than L.A. have their own Skid Like, I thought Skid Row was a specifically L.A. place. Again, drugs. I don't know. I don't know. I thought Skid Row was just a metal band from the 80s. No. That's like, you know. No, I didn't know it was. I thought it was just any kind any of. Any kind of. Okay. Daryl derelict kind of place. I almost said okay. derelict. Like, no, that's from <laughs> Zoolander. <laughs> um, but anyway, these people that he um, is, you know, has encountered just keeps steadily disappearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, crime is declining. And he's been given an award for this and everybody's really happy about this. Um, but he says that he's not doing anything. The people are just gone. Yeah. Um, JJ isn't too worried about it because she says those people just go missing sometimes. And you're like, I'm no, sorry. No, are they, you like an investigator in the Ted Bundy disappearances right. <laughs> where you're like, oh, I guess those, you know, you know how those girls are. They just go off and disappear and then you know and you're like no no they they don't (laughs) this is a population with the least means to just pick up and leave where else are they gonna go that's the reason they're there to begin with is because they have nowhere else to go um so anyway because this guy's a good cop he has noted that there have been at least 63 people 63 people who have completely disappeared off the face of this the planet, is a huge never to be seen again. Of yeah. Um, he also received a note telling him that he should be ashamed for taking credit for the unsub's work. Um, and JJ, once she hears the number, is completely yeah. horrified and is like, "Oh no, we need to do something about this." Is this is not just—I mean, they have gone out for one or two people being missing. Sixty-three people. Yeah, is just staggering. Yeah. Um, so then we see the bloody operating room being hosed down and we hear like the voiceover is the detective and he says that there's something happening out there and it's something bad. You're like, yeah. Yeah, it sure is. So Reed tells us that homeless people aren't particularly transient. Yeah. (laughs) And like these are depression era hobos or something. Yeah, they're just riding the rails. Yeah. Um, he says that the disappearances aren't like, it's not completely unheard of but that they're very strange especially that many. in this number yeah. yeah um so there are no missing re- missing persons reports filed there's no bodies turning up which is 
even, even more, more troubling. Yeah. Um, so Hotch tells Detective McGee, the guy from Kansas City, that they have to have an official invitation or they have no jurisdiction and they can't do anything to help. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a problem because no one believes McGee that there's even an issue here, which is yeah. why he personally came out to ask them for help. Which I was trying to think about this. Is this the first time we've had like a law enforcement person show up to plead their case? Like we've had civilians... I think this is the first time we've had... Please help us. The local police aren't taking us seriously or whatever. But you would think then there would be jurisdictional issues too. There haven't been in them. Yeah. Like like North Mammon. Yeah. They come and plead their case and they go in, but I don't know. Um, But yeah, I thought this was unusual for it being the first time that like a fellow law enforcement person is like, nobody else is listening to me in my department. You have to come. Yeah. Yeah. but Hotch and JJ um, decide that they're going to go back with him and try to speak directly to the superiors in order to try to garner that invitation so they yeah. can do something. So then we get our first quote. Of all the preposterous assumptions of humanity, nothing exceeds the criticisms made of the habits of the poor by the well-housed, well-warmed, and well-fed. Herman Melville. And you're like, still true. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> still no, extremely nothing true. Nothing has changed there no. since Herman Melville's time. Yeah. So on the plane, McGee's poring over his notebooks while JJ and Hutch just psychoanalyze him from like three feet away. Yeah. Well within earshot. I don't know. He's very wrapped up in his notebooks. Yeah. I didn't love this conversation that they had. No. It, and well, it, it isn't relevant to anything in the rest of the episode. No. Um, they say that his note taking could be OCD. And then JJ makes this really snide comment about how like the only witness and they have that they have could be mentally unstable. Yeah. And you're like, okay, First of all, what about having OCD would make you like, what would that, how would that exclude you from being a reliable and useful witness? Yeah, it doesn't. It wouldn't. So shut up. And Mm -hmm. then also like, what a shitty thing to say. It's a very 2007 view of any kind of like, we know how this show feels about mental illness and treatment for any sort of mental health right. issues And well, whatsoever. I mean, that they've just spent how many episodes telling Reed to stuff it down, and it appears that he has. He's yeah, back he's, to normal. He's fine now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, Hotch reminds her that 63 people could be in trouble and says that it's well worth the chase. But he phrases it like, you know, like someone I greatly respect yeah, told me yeah. that there were it, this many people. Implying that it's JJ. Yeah. <laughs> it, I didn't catch that the first time either. Yeah. And the second time I was like... Aw, hi. Yeah. Like, maybe you get a point back for He's that. He's trying in this episode. He's trying so hard. He's being the most understanding about mental illness. He's going out of his way for this case, saying he respects a female coworker. Yeah. Unheard of. Yeah. So the rest of the team is back at the BAU. They're going over the notes about the potential victims. And Morgan reminds everybody of the Yorkshire Ripper, who is a house cleaner or mission-based killer who thinks that he's cleaning up the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's... A woman who doesn't look to be in real great shape walking down the street um, back in Kansas City. A nervous man like pulls up in this van and he propositions her. Yeah, it's I guess. Though she seems surprised by like the the interaction makes you think because he's in like a box van. Yeah. Makes you think that there's something on the side of the van 
like you know, yeah, like a which, logo or which something. Which makes sense later. Yeah. But, but at for this, right now, in this, I was like, is it is it like a church van or something yeah. that she's like, really, you? Yeah, but in and this... like, just get in the back. In this moment, it's really weird. But yeah. he says, like, there's somebody who wants your company. Yeah. Um, and he tells her to get in the side so that nobody can see her. Yeah. Um, which she does. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, okay, sure, for 500 bucks, whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, Morgan checks in with Garcia. There's still not a single missing persons report on any of these people. Um, we see the woman who, I don't think we ever learned her name. Maggie. Is it Maggie? Okay, yeah. good. I can say that instead of saying the woman over and over again. No, in all of my notes, I just wrote girl, the girl or girly or whatever. Yeah. Because she calls herself that a lot. Um, but I looked it up afterward on IMDb and it's okay. Maggie. Maggie. I'm sure they say it at some point, but. Yeah. Um, so she wakes up in this empty room. She's been drugged, it seems mm-hmm. like, or was really high. Yeah. And, but anyway, she was unconscious, so probably drugged. Um, her shoes are gone. Mm-hmm. She sees a door and she walks over to it and then starts banging on it and is like, let me out, let me out. And then she's like, oh, should I try the door handle? <laughs> Which she does, and it's completely unlocked. Uh, so she's like walking through room after room and all the doors are painted red. Yeah. It's this like really like industrial complex it's that she's in. Saw yeah. Stuff. Um, she breaks it open and then she falls into a room filled with broken glass. Oh God. She absolutely face plants herself yeah. in this glass. Um, and then my next note just says, Ooh, we're doing a saw. Yes. <laughs> That's, I looked up when that first movie came it out. It was like years prior. Uh, three years. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, they must have been like riding high yeah, on like the I popularity was of Saw. But it was, no, Saw came out in 2004. Maybe one of the sequels. I never saw any of the sequels. Um, I don't know that I have either. Yeah. I saw the first one and I was like, this yeah. is, this is not, this for, not me. for me. Yeah. No. no, thank you. Criminal Minds is. Is yeah. for me, but not Saw. It was, I was listening to another podcast, and I can't remember what it was, but they were talking about Saw, and they were talking about how, like, the, the thoughtfulness of the characters declines mm. throughout the sequels, and they're like, at some point, you just start rooting for the traps. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm yeah, not. Yeah, that seems That's about not right. my brand of movie. I'm good with the first one. <laughs> yeah. Because this one, like, you're really rooting for her. Like, okay, what do you do? Because she, like, you know, the she got the door had, like, caught or something. It didn't open all the way. And it was it the had only, the latch, like yeah, the chain latch. But it was the only one that had opened it all for her. And so yeah. she, like, ran full force into it to get out and falls into the glass. Okay, then what now what do you do? And Because this is the moment you decide whether or not you're rooting for Maggie. Is yeah. Maggie dumb and she just, like, crawls through the glass? Or does Maggie do something smart and make you want to root for her? Yeah. Um, so before we get to see what she does, Mm -hmm. McGee goes into the captain's office back at the precinct and the captain is pissed. He is not happy to see them. (laughs) He is so mad that McGee brought the FBI here. He says that they found absolutely no evidence whatsoever that anyone is even missing. Um, and then JJ is like, was talking to McGee and she's like, you should have told us that the captain already knew. And it was like, he made it abundantly clear back at Quantico that nobody believes him and that he's coming to them directly for help because nobody else will help him. Right. It's like, shut up. They gave him an award and he was (laughs) like, no, I don't deserve this award. The the opposite of this is happening. And it's so funny in these like earlier episodes, like JJ is so 
hit or miss for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I know they that, haven't figured out who she is. Yeah, yet. they like evolve her character into somebody you really root for later. But yeah. at this point, I'm like, at like every other episode, it's either like, I really like you, or you're just like, shut up and get off screen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to be here. But a lot of them are like that in these early episodes. Yeah. Um, but uh, then we see the woman, and she. Use it. She takes off her jean jacket and mm-hmm. uses it to like wipe the glass or like swipe the glass out of the way so she yeah. can get across until the very end. Right, and then she makes and a giant jump. And then she throws the jean jacket and, and jumps the rest. You're like, of the just way. keep doing what you right. were doing all it the was way working. to the edge. Yeah, I mean, I wanted her. The to... jean jacket thing was really smart. Though. It was. Yeah, <laughs> I was so because that was my thought. I was like, okay, take your take the jean jacket off and like wrap your feet in it, or like take yeah. something off and wrap your feet up. Um, because she fell face first, there's no feet or no, there's no feet. There's no glass in the bottom of her feet yet. Yeah. Um, it's just in her face. Just in her face. Mostly just in her eyeballs. Yeah. But that's okay. <laughs> she can still walk. As yeah. Long as she can still walk. Uh, so the team updates Gideon when he walks in on the situation and they say that he's a house cleaner and mm-hmm. he's like, oh no, tell me everything. Yeah. Like, he's like super worried about it. Um, so you get the sense that this is really, really bad. <laughs> Um, so the captain says that they put McGee on Skid Row just to get him out of the way. Hotch says that they're very happy to help, and this kind of unsub is usually really easy to catch. Mm-hmm. Um, but the captain doesn't even believe that there's a problem. And then he makes a comment about, uh, like, questioning whether bums, junkies, and whores can even be missing. Yeah, I know. And you're I like, <laughs> oh, my that's God. That's the note I wrote down, too. It's like, bums, whores, junkies, these aren't real people. We're not worried about these yeah. people. Um, Let them keep disappearing. But then Hotch has a really nice moment defending their humanity. And he's like, yeah, you know what? They can be missing and they can be hurt and they can be scared and they deserve all of the effort that you would give to like teachers or cheerleaders Mm -hmm. finding them. And you're like, damn it, I'm going to have to give you points back. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah. um, And he also promises, I think it's in this part, he promises this police chief that if they bring someone in, they'll step aside and let the local guys make the arrest because yeah. that's how they operate. And I was like, I'm like, yeah, I've that never is. witnessed you do that. Yeah. First of all, no, <laughs> that's how the actual BAU operates. Right. Yes. That's not how you guys do no. it. Even once. Morgan, Morgan is tackling people down to the ground. He's contractually obligated to tackle people. <laughs> step aside. Yeah. Sure you will. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, JJ sees the letter from the, un- the envelope from the unsub's letter sitting on McGee's desk and McGee's like, oh, it's clean. There's no prints on it anywhere. Um, and McGee says that his dad was also a cop and that he taught him to be the kind of cop who cares about the people he's supposed to serve. And is you're like, that is the that legacy? the legacy? I, it's not a good one if that's it. Like, okay, whatever. Um, but yeah, then, uh, then JJ notices the postmark, which is from Kansas City, Missouri, <gasps> not Kansas City, Kansas. And mm. because the crime has crossed state lines now, yeah. um, it's now federal. Yeah. And she goes in and tells Hotch that she can, they can take it if they want. And um, that's when Hotch says like, no, no, we'll let you make the arrest. Yeah, the captain's yeah, yeah. like, why would, why would you do that? Like, like, he won't. Yeah. Don't believe him. Um, so then uh, we see Maggie, and she's in even worse shape. She's just absolutely covered in glass and blood. She calls for help, and the lights go off. And a voice asks her if she'd like to know how her, know the future and how her day is going to end. And then a video projection of the old man's murder starts playing. Uh, it's there's terrible. There's a saw involved, and it's just a lot. Yeah. 
Um, she says that she has a baby and she just wants to go home to her. And the voice says that she's a whore who spelt, spreads disease and filth. I was really sad because I, you know, you're starting to really like Maggie at this point, but her daughter's name is Sheila May. Yeah. She's like, her name is Sheila May. And you're like, oh, oh no. Oh, why? <laughs> Come on, Mags. Will you change your name <laughs> if we let you out? Yeah. Um, so the rest of the team then arrives in Kansas City and they are... My notes say they're there is ready to get the profile. <laughs> they're immediate. They sure is. <laughs> they is immediately ready to give that profile. Yes. Um, yeah. The woman um that cuts back back and forth, and the woman says that she doesn't have any diseases, and the voice tells her that she's in the middle of a one hundred thirty thousand square foot facility and has until sunrise to find her way out. Yeah. Some like, next level horror. Right yeah. There. Like, oh, oh God, start running. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then we give a profile. And it's another long one. Yeah. And it's even more drawn out because it is back and forth with her esca- her trying to escape. The yeah, time. the whole time you just see her running yeah. through this facility. And it's Which just- Which is better than them superimposing themselves onto bullshit yeah. that they're making up. It's much that. more interesting because you already like have that connection to yeah. her and everything. And it's just that it's, it really builds the drama too, because yeah. it, this place is never ending. It really is. It goes yeah. on it's forever. Um, Hotch starts this profile by letting everyone in the room know that we're going to provide a psychological profile of the man we're looking for. It contains some unusual specific personality traits that someone out there is bound to recognize, which will make him relatively easy to locate. Bold way to start. Um, he leaves a long-lasting negative impression on anyone he might meet. We have a term for the killing behavior this unsub displays, cleaning house, fixing what's wrong with the world. He's deeply rationalized this behavior, and while he certainly knows the killing is wrong, he truly believes that he's doing the world a great service. Ultimately, this type of unsub becomes a loner. There will not be too many people he can still tolerate. Now, if he does have a relationship at all, the person will not be his equal. It will be someone subservient to him. He'll be fastidious, tending toward obsessive-compulsive disorder. And then there's a very pointed close-up shot of our local detective guy yes. on that one. Um, and he'll have an overwhelming sense of indignation toward things that he's judged to be wrong. He won't even consider the reasons why someone might disagree with him. One of the local cops said he sounds like a real jagoff. I and Morgan, that. <laughs> Morgan says, exactly, a classic scumbag. Yeah. Um, Detective McGee noticed the disappearances a year ago. The unsub probably had a stressor at this time, the death of a family member or someone who had a sense of control over him. Right now, no one has control over him. It's probable that he currently isn't working. After this many victims and the devolution it brings, a job wouldn't leave him time to practice his true calling, Hmm. which is a predator, a killing machine. Right now, it's all that he thinks about. Um, yeah, I went down a real rabbit hole after the Jagoff comment because it was yeah. like, that's... It seems like a very Western Pennsylvania thing yeah, to say. Yeah, like a Pittsburgh thing. But apparently they also use it in Chicago, oh. which I guess is like closer. Yeah, I mean, it's the Midwest at least. Yeah. Uh, but I was looking at the Wikipedia page and then like under politics... Mm-hmm. It was just two references made about Donald Trump where people, <laughs> <laughs> various people had called him a jagoff. Uh, um, but then uh, there's also this other story that I just wanted to read to you about. Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, 
It says, in 2012, David Shribman, a Massachusetts native and executive editor of Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, issued a letter banning the use of the word jagoff anywhere in the paper. The decision was mocked by Chris Potter, Potter of the Pittsburgh City Paper, uh, noting that Shribman's letter belied an utter lack of understanding of the actual etymology and history of the word. Uh, as he had confused it with the more base homophone jack-off. In response, the Beaver County Times used some form of the term 19 times in a single article, (laughs) (laughs) suggesting that Shribman has jagophobia. (laughs) That's great. I was like, I love journalism. Um, But anyway, back to the story. Um, Some weird smoke starts pouring into the stairwell where Maggie is. Um, like, I, it seems like every time she starts sitting down. Yeah, like she tries to rest and yeah. she gets egged um, on. Yeah, the uh, the unsub's watching her on a monitor. She gets to the top of the stairs and opens the door and then runs down a hallway that is labeled Slaughterhouse yeah, with an arrow pointing in that way. Um, then the team heads down to Skid Row to talk to the people there and ask about sketchy characters they may have seen. <laughs> There's a very weird montage set to a, I, a strange musical music <laughs> is so I was, weird. I was watching this episode and that part started and Nate had been crossing through the room and he sat down and was like, what is that? Happening. And <laughs> I was like, I don't know. <laughs> it's so weird. They made a choice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a woman who is supposed clearly supposed to be a sex worker who's like mm-hmm. flirting with Reed, who looks very uncomfortable, like, but she's wearing a cardigan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but, but a, it's a real slutty cardigan. That's yeah. what they're going for. Uh Morgan is talking to a woman and offers to take her to a shelter. She declines and he tells her to be careful because the world needs all of its beautiful ladies mm. even her and Prentice is like oh you're such a good guy yeah. and you're like that was the most patronizing thing I've ever yeah heard. no but Prentice is so impressed by it yeah like, I love- were they like trying to set up a Morgan and Prentice thing that clearly was not gonna go anywhere I don't know maybe because there have been a few times where they've had like borderline flirty interactions between the two of them mm-hmm. which maybe like, there's just like no chemistry between Shamar there, Moore and Padgett there Brewster. is absolutely yeah. none whatsoever like, we'll just push Garcia on him yeah I loved that in this montage there was like a flash of Garcia's database still running of like no record no record <laughs> no I was like there's only 63 people it's been days <laughs> you've been doing this for a very long time um so then they meet up with Hotch and Reed, and Hotch says that Reed got propositioned by every prostitute they talked to. <laughs> and I thought, you know, but that doesn't make sense to me because out of the two of them, Hotch seems like a straight up mark, right? Oh, yeah. He's got like the suit yeah. and like he's like, like he's older. The kind like, of guy that's going looking he for looked, a sex like, worker. Well, and like Reed looks like a grad, like a broke grad student. Yeah. Hotch looks like he has money. Yeah. Like which one of those people? Yeah, it yeah. would have been like, funnier you like, if they were like Hotch got propositioned by every person. We <laughs> it would have been way funnier. Yeah, um, but yeah, the the look on Reed's face when he's like nodding in agreement yeah. is solid gold. <laughs> it is really funny, um, but nobody has any leads at all. Um, so the captain wants to make some snarky comments, rubbing it in that there's still mm-hmm. no evidence. Um, and they're thinking like how weird it would be that these people would just tr- trust somebody. Yeah. And Morgan starts asking like, what about, 
what if it was like a social worker? Yeah, someone and they're that's like, here all the time and they blend in with the crowd. Yeah, like somebody that they would like inherently trust and mm-hmm. stuff. And it's unclear why he's asking, but then it like pans over and he's staring at this Department of Human Services mm-hmm. and box it's, it's van. it's nighttime. At night. Yeah. And there's a man talking to that woman yeah. that he had spoken to earlier. And he asks if social workers patrol the area and the captain's like, no. Yeah. And um, Morgan runs over to uh, stop the man and stop her from getting into the van. Uh, The man tries to drive away and Morgan drives straight into the driver's side window and grabs the steering wheel and drives it into another car. Like, this is your best tackle yet. Limbs akimbo. It's great. It's so great. Um, So Maggie finds herself at a dead end. It's a door labeled kill room Ugh. yeah so um it's like man this unsub is not trying to not get caught yeah <laughs> <laughs> um she tur- it's a big facility he yes. has to know where he's going she turns to run away and hears a door open and then a giant ass doberman i yeah, think it's big a very scary, scary dog, dog rounds the corner and chases her back into the kill room mm-hmm. in which there is just a bunch of limbs Dismembered limbs hanging from like meat hooks on the ceiling, and the old man's head is on a a tray. I'm like, this is a bit much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She sees an exit sign and runs toward it. She falls down a flight of stairs, and she's. she's, I mean, I get it. She's been through a lot, but she runs face first into two closed doors earlier, (laughs) and then she falls down the stairs. And I was like, geez, oh man. Yeah. Um, she sees her shoes. She grabs them and like drags herself to the exit. She can see the sun going down and then the door closes before she can get to it. And the gas turns on and there are so many shoes shoes. sitting in front of this door. It's horrifying. She has been relatively smart about most of this, right? And like her escape. She's made better choices than most, but she she sees her shoes laying there and you see on her face that she's like, oh good, I found my shoes. Like, no, 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 no. No, that's not good. That's a huge sign that you're in the wrong place if you found them. Yeah. Like, oh no. Especially with with all the others. Yeah. Like you should be getting up and running through that door if you're trying to get out of there. Yeah. Uh, So... They have the van driver back at the precinct. Um, the team is watching him through the glass. Um, they say that his, this guy's name is Stephen Foster. He has no paper trail except for a driver's license, like no job, no income, no bank accounts, nothing. Yeah. Um, they can tell that he is not capable of 63 murders um, because he is just kind of freaking out. Yeah. Um, they assume that he must be the accomplice. So the captain wants to know why he seems so afraid if he's in on it. And Morgan points out that he's the only person that knows what the unsub is truly capable of. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I'd be fucking scared of that guy too. Um, I couldn't get over his name though, because Stephen Foster is a famous American composer. Right. He did Camp Town Races. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. <laughs> And I went to Pitt. <laughs> at Pitt. Yeah, he's from Pittsburgh. I went to Pitt. There's a museum to him in one of the theater buildings. Uh, and so every time they called him Stephen Foster with his full name, I was just like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so McGee wants to know how they're going to find the unsub. And Hotch tells him that Stephen is going to tell us, tell them exactly where he is. Mm-hmm. Um, we see the unsub grab the woman by the legs and drag her away. She's like, yeah, Maggie, she's a, like, like drag her out. Yeah. 
Um, so Stephen Foster is being very belligerent. Yeah. yeah. He keeps yelling at them and maintaining his innocence. And Hotch and McGee just walk in and just stare at him mm-hmm. until he sits down and shuts <laughs> up. And he's like, man, that is a teacher move. It sure <laughs> <is>. <laughs> so Hotch tells him that he is going to tell him where to find the killer. And he's going to tell him exactly how to get in without the unsub knowing. And he says that he knows the unsub isn't nice to him. He belittles and emasculates him and that Stephen hates him. And also that Stephen really screwed up and whatever punishment he is about to get from the unsub for the screw up is a million times worse than anything Hotch is going to do to him. Mm -hmm. Stephen's like, you're right. Here's everything. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you whatever you want to know. Yeah. Um, He says that his family has always worked for the unsub's family and the unsub's father died last year, left him everything. And he says that the unsub has changed. He's mean now and that he's going to hurt him so bad. And he calls him... The last boy. Like, my family's worked for his family forever. He's the last boy. And I, I was know. like, please stop talking. I know. About I was like, is like this that. the legacy? <laughs> you may Because also, this doesn't make sense. No. Yeah. Um, so, Stephen says his name, <laughs> the last boy's name. The last boy's name, which I thought was Hulk. First. <laughs> his name is Hulk. <laughs> his name is Charles Holcomb, Ooh. and he owns the meatpacking plant. Ooh, You're like, oh, God. Oh God. Um, so yeah, the woman, uh, Maggie wakes up on the gurney and she tells Charles, the unsub, that she will not beg for her life. And he's like, oh, you will. They always do. Oh, and then God. he turns the corner and the whole team's just standing yeah. there, guns drawn. It's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they're all there. Um, everybody gets a shot in. Yeah. On this one. Yeah. Um, I mm-hmm. guess they were like, no, no, we'll let you make the arrest. Yeah. After, after we each individually after shoot him we in the shoot face. Him like switch keys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Maggie asks to see Charles's face and, um, then she just laughs yeah. at him. And she has beautiful teeth, beautiful sparkling I white teeth. I noticed how good her teeth were for, a method. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. For the like, amount um, of drugs they say you do, yeah. your teeth look better than mine. Yeah. And we've been over how few drugs I've done. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So she asks, uh, Hotch tells her that they've called an ambulance. Thank God. like, finally. They haven't untied her from the gurney, though. No, they have not. Um, she asks for someone to check on her daughter and Hotch says that he'll do that for her. Um, and then everybody like walks out of the kill room and they all give McGee a pat on the back Mm -hmm. as they pass by. Um, and then, uh, closing scene, they're all back at Quantico. Um, I did go back to check they're wearing different clothes. Okay. Cause they're watching the same movie from the beginning. They're watching the same movie. And I was like, we saw that kill room. Yeah. They just walked <laughs> through that kill room and they just went back and were they like, flew let's back on the eat plane. some popcorn. Yeah. And what? No, but they're wearing different clothes. So okay. this is not immediately afterwards, I'm but they're all watching that. I was like, wait a second. I was appalled. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I understand that this is supposed to be cute, that they're yeah. all like decompressing together, but mm-hmm. like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, can you imagine like walking through that plant? as the police officers and like seeing all of that and then ever being okay again. (laughs) No. And we've seen police officers throw up for a lot less on this show. Yeah. And everyone just waltzes in and out of there like, all in a day's work. Yeah. Just just the limbs hanging there, disembodied heads. Yeah. (laughs) 
Like, but yeah, everybody goes back and they're watching Chaplin movies and having a good laugh and tossing popcorn at each other. Yeah. Nobody's traumatized. Morgan leans over and takes a big bite out of Garcia's Twizzler. Yeah. Like, Ugh. Like, so our closing quote is, nothing, in this perma- nothing is permanent in this wicked world, not even our troubles. Guess we're supposed Charlie to feel better. Chaplin. <laughs> supposed to feel better after that yeah, one. Yeah, nothing's permanent. Not even the scars you bear from having seen <laughs> from that, that horrible, horrible <sighs> monster place. Oh my god. So, uh, <laughs> what would you rate the profile as far as accuracy, helpfulness, and plausibility on a scale of one to ten? I mean, it was pretty accurate, mm-hmm. and like, I guess it was just kind of standard house cleaner kind of stuff yeah um i guess it was a little bit too detailed for me when they get really detailed with stuff that's when it starts losing plausibility points for me yeah um lately they've been really long it wasn't helpful no the profile again it was the actual police work they did yeah the profile gave them nothing it was going out to talk to people and then literally witnessing it like happening to see because like their whole thing is like the profile doesn't make sense. These people wouldn't go with somebody yeah. like this. So, like, they weren't looking for the unsub. They were looking for the person who was bringing the... Per- That's like, true, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, they they happened to find him because he was standing there. Yeah, which is miraculous. <laughs> like, not even detective work. He were literally just present when, yeah. like when the, the only crime like, was occurring. The only detective work was just that they were like, huh, Social services shouldn't be here. That's yeah. weird. <laughs> like, I'm not a detective and I could have figured that one out. Yeah. Maybe like a five. Yeah. Pretty middle of the road. Yeah. Um, we do have another white man, though. We sure do. So that means for season two, we are up 19 to five. 80% white men. Overall, 40 white men, 85%. So nice. pretty good margin still. Um, what about Hotch Watch? What an episode I for feel Aaron like, Hotchner. What was he? Uh, he was at a seven. We had him at a seven. I I'd say we bump him up to at least an eight or a nine. Yeah, I was thinking a nine, honestly. Yeah, because like he gets a good point, like a point for like the conversation on the plane with JJ, yeah, and then that whole defending, you yeah. know, the undesirables of society, right. where he was and like, he no, really, no, they're people. Yeah, and he really took charge in this episode, yeah. for like over the investigation. I don't yeah. know. And he was laughing with Gideon about yeah. the movies. It's like, yeah, okay, you get some points back. Yeah. He, he acted like a person. I can't imagine it's going to last long, but I no. mean, I'll take it. Yeah. Um, well, I hate to fast forward to the next episode already, but how excited are you about the season two so, finale? So excited. Uh, we're no, just, it's just amping up the craziness it, because yes. we're getting Frank back. We, we are primed. <laughs> uh, the next episode, No Way Out Part 2, colon, The Evolution of Frank. It's such a bad title. It's so bad. <laughs> I love it's it so as much. bad as it is long, and I love it. It's too long. <laughs> it's too much. It's a bad joke. <laughs> evolution every part of it is perfect (laughs) but i'm here for it i I can't wait to talk about it like you're gonna give me an (laughs) insane story and that's all i want and i'm so happy (laughs) uh wherever you're listening be sure to leave us a five-star review 
You can find us on Instagram at the unsub is a white man. Our theme music is composed and performed by Nate Youngblood and the podcast is produced by Nate Youngblood. Thanks, Nate. And until next week, we'll finally be watching the Saw sequels.